In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, part of the Her Insight Network on Toginet. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNenny. Good afternoon, everybody. Yes, that's me, the sociable homeschooler. And Haiti's still all over the news and getting worse. So I'd like to open with a quick prayer for the victims and the aid workers who are giving themselves up to help wherever they can. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this day and give your angels charge over them. Tend the sick, give rest to the weary, Bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the innocent, and all for your love's sake. Amen. Well, how are you this afternoon? I hope you had a wonderful week. Mine was busy, 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 and I'm excited to be spending another wonderful hour with you chit-chatting about life, homeschool, and stuff. It's brilliant to be here on Her Insight Network at Togginet Radio. For those of you who weren't with me last week, I'm going to be talking about a lot of things during my time with you. Homeschooling, of course. Then some weeks we'll look at curriculum, others at legal issues. I'll talk to mums and callers and we'll talk about public school and what's going on with our children. And talking of callers, here's my number if you want to risk interrupting me this week. one 864 4869 So for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be warming up the show by finding out exactly what kinds of people really do homeschool their kiddos. And I'll be excerpting from my as yet unpublished book about how I homeschooled my four children and came out the other side unscathed, or so I thought. And because I think it's odd talking to a non-visible audience, I thought for company this week, I'd have my cat. But because I knew she'd wimp out on me by falling asleep on my pillow which she has, I'm also trying out a mirror. I thought that perhaps looking at my reflection may help me get rid of the feeling that I'm talking to myself and going slowly mad, but nope, it's too weird, far too distracting. I'm counting all my wrinkles. Ah, sorry, self, turning my back. And it's raining. And the temperature is plummeting here in Texas. It's not icy as forecast, at least not yet, but it's wet grown for me. Yay for my plants. One of them, my uh, Asian jasmine, seems to be thriving out there. When I first came to America, I thought I had the corner on, on obsessions with the weather. In England, we're always going on about how it ruins our plans and the unreliability of weather forecasters. But I soon discovered that Texans also talk about the weather a lot. It's either too hot, too humid, too wet, too windy, or too cold. A favorite saying here is, if you don't like the weather, just wait a minute and it'll change. Hmm, That's true. I never know whether to put my shorts, T-shirts and summer frocks away in a hard-to-get-to closet under the stairs or just pop them into the back of my wardrobe, knowing that chances are it'll be up in the 80s again in a day or two. 
Well, at least in England, when it turns cold, it stays that way for a whole season. So my long johns and jumpers can stay out for months, and scarves, hats, and gloves are permanent fixtures on our cloakroom hooks. Well, we've been warned that it is going to freeze tonight, and the roads are wet, so watch out, Texans, if you're out tonight. And probably in the morning, my pool will be frozen over for the fourth time this year. Anyway... Maybe it'll blow over as it usually does, and we'll just get stuck with the drizzle and the mud and not be too extreme with the weather. So let's keep our fingers crossed. And guess what? This morning, around our breakfast table, we heard squirrels in our chimney. They've once again found a way in and are noisily making a nest to lay their young. Each year, my husband locks up holes in the woodwork outside and puts grills on the top of the chimney, but they still find a way inside. And I'm guessing they have to be related to the squirrels that my son, when he was volunteering at the animal shelter, used to bring home. He'd bring home babies that were still blind, and we'd have to drop her and then bottle feed them. And when they opened their eyes, they thought I was mum. And when they were old enough to be released, guess guess where we released them? Yes, out in our back 40. They were the friendliest wild squirrels in the neighborhood. And they must have long memories because they keep coming home to breed. The only problem is we can't block up the entranceway once we've heard them in the chimney because then we run the risk of leaving a squirrel trapped in the walls. And you know how stinky that gets when a critter gets dies in your walls. So here's what we do. And remember, I'm English and I'm used to seeing signs up everywhere banning children and welcoming dogs. We open up an outside vent in the eaves adjacent to the chimney and come come springtime, we run a plank of wood from it to the ground. And from our picture window inside, we count the number of babies that mum allows to venture forth one at a time. And after a few weeks, when they're more agile and can dash up and down the gangplank, we wait until they're all running around our garden and then remove the plank of wood and seal the original entryway. We then wait to hear if we can still detect audible signs of habitation before finally closing and sealing the vent. Judging from the loud clanking this morning that we heard from the breakfast table, it sounds as though we'll be suckers again this year. And I kid you not, don't we sound like a homeschooling family? And this afternoon, Hobby and I were having lunch with a couple who we've known for years from the local community theatre, back when our children were really young. We were talking about this radio show over our salads and our bruschetta, and the husband said he thought that homeschool was was a relatively new thing, maybe about 10 or 15 years old. I suppose he thought I'd invented it or something. He hadn't realised it had been going on for so many years. Yeah, over 100 My children, he said, were the first homeschool children he'd actually ever met. And he was surprised that they were so unhomeschool-like and normal. His preconceived notion was that we should be positively homey, not mainstream, have at least 10 children, no sense of humor, read only the Bible, socialize exclusively with people from church, never joke around or watch movies or plays. Sound familiar? So secluded, in other words, that he wasn't surprised he'd never met any before. Back when he first met us, when we were all about 30, homeschool was nothing yuppie tights like him and his family would aspire to, and definitely not a group he would seek to be associated with. But he continued, one look at me and my family, and that preconceived notion went out the window. Thank God. 
because a couple of weeks ago, my youngest daughter turned 18. Amid a wave of excitement, which I kept dampening, I couldn't understand what could be so different about this particular birthday. One day it's Friday, the next day it's Saturday, I told her. Oh, but, she kept reminding me, one day I'm 17, the next day I'm 18. What's the big deal, particularly in my house? I imagine she thinks she'll gain full independence overnight like magic. But she does have a new phrase in her vocabulary. When told she can't do something, as in no, she looks me full in the eye and says, yes, I can. And we're not talking about reading dull textbooks on her own or performing a quadratic equation. We're talking defiance, plain and simple. Anyway, after turning 18, she asked me to accompany her to have her ear cartilage pierced. The tragus, to be technical, as in trailer trash tragus. Notice she didn't ask if she could have it pierced. She informed me that she was having it pierced and invited me to go with her. As I said to my husband, who looked as though he was going to have a heart attack, it's only a piercing, it'll heal. To date, that's where homeschooling has led me, unscathed, or so I thought, until I entered the first tattoo piercing parlour of my life, and saw a full-size statue of the Virgin Mary staring me in the face. A typical homeschooler? Me? I don't think so. And now it's time to go to my book and take a look at how lazy summer afternoons mixed with cool summer shade and brilliant ideas helped to rocket me headfirst into a world of red flags and hurdles that I couldn't ignore or resist. If you were listening last week, three things got me thinking about homeschooling. I'd lost my job, a well-heeled stranger stepped into my life, and my daughter failed a test. By the beginning of the summer, my new friend, the well-heeled stranger from last week, had firmly wedged her well-heeled foot into the door of opportunity that I had left ajar when deciding to think about homeschooling my third child. She upbraided me and told me that it was not really fair to do for one and not for the others. So with these admonitions ringing in my head, I entered my first very long summer holiday with offspring. I didn't have the help of an after-school program, day camps, or intelligent adult conversation. I had four children under eight living at home with me. I know a lot of you probably have six under six, and I applaud you, but my seven and under brigade were a challenge for someone who doesn't like playing. I was organized and they were innovative, so we got on quite well as long as I didn't run out of ice cream, milk, or straws. Although my husband endorsed homeschooling, I wasn't going to be steamrolled into something that just sounded like a good idea. My caution bought me some much-needed time to think about and consider my options. I'd been introduced to some veteran homeschoolers by my new shoe-wearing friend. Curiously, they didn't seem to be big fans of homeschooling. A red flag rapidly went up and prompted an honest question. Why was I being introduced to homeschoolers who hated what they were doing? Without exception, they all grimaced and groaned out loud when asked about their decision to bypass public school in favour of turning out valedictorians come laude from home. Baffled, I asked them a truth or dare question. Why did you choose to teach your children at home? Their unanimous answer was... Because God and my husband want me to. I could sense two red flags now being hoisted up the homeschool flagpole. There's nothing wrong with this reply, except that it wasn't said with any kind of passion or conviction. 
Well, I thought to myself, I'm sure God and my husband would like me to be a sweet, mild-mannered woman who was obedient and submissive. But unless I'm personally committed to that sort of behavior, which of course I am, those particular designer shoes aren't going to fit. My friend didn't seem to be this kind of homeschooler, but her friends apparently were. The message they were conveying to their families probably would not encourage any of their offspring to become the future homeschoolers of America. I wasn't falling for this kind of theology or controlology, if there is such an ology. I had to discern whether the prospect was a feasible one for my life. A series of questions to make sure I would cover all the material jostled around in my head while I started to think. Would it be best for myself, our girls, our family? Would it reduce me to a blubbering idiot in no time at all? Or would I slowly grow in stature and knowledge with each ensuing and rewarding year? And it sounds as though we're going to have a break. Do you so I'll be right back. And when homeschooling. That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler. And we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to them like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All right, so where was I? Okay, I want to decide whether or not homeschooling would reduce me to a blubbering idiot in no time at all, or would I slowly grow in stature and knowledge with each ensuing and rewarding year? What would it say about me? Would my students make me proud or cause me to mouth to my husband in regret and bewilderment? Where did she go to school? Who taught her that? Has she ever read a book? 
Would I be gutsy enough at social gatherings to admit to my contemporaries and people I admired that I was not only a stay-at-home mum but also a homeschooler? Or would I find myself digging a deep hole of excuses to retreat into just in case they ridiculed me? So I determined to test the waters and carefully chose some people I volunteered with at the theatre and some trusted churchgoers to share my possible future plans with. The reactions were astounding. These friends, or were they just acquaintances, gasped and quickly clapped their hands apologetically over their mouths before exclaiming politely, Oh, don't get me wrong, dear. I admire you, but I could never do that. As if I was suggesting something disgusting like disemboweling a deer or cleaning my toilets. I was sold. Homeschooling was definitely weird enough for me to embrace as an alternative status symbol. So the next hurdle was to convert my husband's endorsement of my idea into a conviction. He knew that something was going on. My Texan was a cowboy in name only. Underneath his hat, he was an astute man. Get past the spurs and he knew that something was happening in his wife's head, but he prudently waited until she was ready to reveal the results of her findings. Secretly, he probably hoped that like the Texas weather, it would all blow over and things would go back to normal. So unwilling to upset the oil well, he continued with his life and left me to deal with the three-month vacation. Her ideas ran rampant in the mad dog heat, lost their deadly impact with the humidity and tended to fizzle out when back-to-school preps began. So as I approached the conversion of husband hurdle, he already knew the potential ramifications. First and foremost, his wife would never again look for a paying job outside the homestead. Other ramifications quickly elbowed themselves forward. His status would be elevated to sole breadwinner. His children would be allowed to run riot in the house all day, every day. His wife would be physically exhausted and smell of baby powder and apple juice at bedtime. He'd be the primary provider of intelligent conversation at home for at least a decade. His children would be safe both physically and mentally most of the time. And his wife would develop a whole vocabulary of one and two syllable words. He'd always know where everyone was. And finally, his children would beguile everyone with their English accents. His proclamation came quickly and soundly. Up and at him, cowgirl. Let's do it. I heaved a great sigh of relief and lassoed him, saying... It's all in Deuteronomy 6, which it is, according to my well-heeled friend. He smiled at my gentle and unexpected Bible thumping. And I continued, you can tell your mother and the in-laws what a brilliant idea you and God just had. And with that, the first officer of our new home school was appointed. Harold, telling his mother and her daughter that her daughter-in-law had this brilliant idea was quite enlightening. She couldn't understand why I wanted to join the ranks of those fanatical individuals who think they're above the law. She further told her son that she'd never met a homeschooler and hoped she never would. Well, apart from Vivian now, of course, she said politely. And in addition, while she respected our decision, she was not going to tell anyone at work about what we were going to do. This was about what I expected from my parents, only with them using more English words. However, to give them their due, my parents reacted quite well when told about our plans, since it was their blue-eyed honorary cowboy of a son-in-law who told them the news on the telephone machine. They didn't express their true feelings, which I imagine were, why on earth would she want to do that? Doesn't she like her job? What about her pension? What are we going to tell the neighbours? Instead, reportedly, they said, 
Vivian will make a wonderful teacher. She went to teach a training college in London, has a degree in education and is fully qualified. But then you knew that, didn't you, Larry? Neither of us felt it necessary to point out that my qualifications as a teacher were not why I decided that home education for our girls was something I could do. The decision, of course, goes deeper than what happens or doesn't happen in the classroom. But all that's beyond the scope of a telephone conversation spanning 3,000 miles and involving two cultures. As long as my parents thought that Larry had a hand in the decision, everything was fine. And now I became a person on a mission. I determined to carry out a field study on my proposed life change. I researched homeschooling to find out if it was just a fad which could only be successfully attempted in elementary school. If I was going to break out of the box of traditional education, I was going to make sure I could do it absolutely and that I fully understood what I was letting myself in for. I researched other academic requirements my girls could progress to once I had them reading, writing and arithmeticking, commonly known in my time as the three R's. Would I have immediate and unobstructed access to them? I was probably one of very few potential homeschool mothers with elementary age children who could direct anyone who asked to the best resources for high schools and colleges. I had the names of curricula that could be followed until eighth grade, high school dual credit college programs, internet courses, correspondence courses, umbrella schools and Christian schools. I had access to teaching manuals and lists of textbooks. I could follow at home. I contacted small private schools where children could be enrolled for a few days a week and where they would be assigned work to do at home for the remaining days. I discovered that I could operate a preschool and a kindergarten in my prospective homeschool, which now had a name, Wildflower Academy. I looked up support groups, talked to the Chamber of Commerce to find out how the state of Texas felt about my interesting ideas, and found a few other enthusiastic mothers who were willing to offer me guidance and show me the tools they used. I went to book fairs and mentally spent whole ISD budgets. I attended workshops where I met and spoke to older children in the midst of their homeschool careers. As I grew more educated about my chosen field, I didn't have to stifle grins as I talked to the young girls in their veils and long skirts. Or the boys in their camouflage, which shows how far I'd come from corporate America. Somewhere during my research, I discovered that the homeschool movement was a wide and multifarious culture. Whether a family chose to wear Amish-style dresses over Dior or live in the boonies and grow their own food stuff instead of Highland Park with restaurants that delivered, their personal decisions to homeschool meant that this lifestyle had few boundaries. And I see I have my first guest on the line. Linda, are you there? Yes, I am. Hello, Linda. How are you today? Uh, very good. Uh, good. Are you, are you handling the cold weather? I am trying. It's um, it's kind of dreary outside here today, but um, it's um, very uh, warm and and nice on the inside. So that's well, where I am. Well, good. Well, good. Well, Linda, I want to talk to talk a little bit to you about um, your time in the Lebanon. You lived in the Lebanon for a while there, and you were a missionary there. Um, tell me a little bit about that. What what was it like there? Uh, yes, we uh, first went to Lebanon with um, the International Mission Board uh, in 1971, mm-hmm. and uh, we were there until 1987. Um, and we, my husband, uh, was in charge of the business, and um, 
the business end of uh, handling the mission there and did the accounting for them. Okay, and, and, and you had, there was a, an office there in Beirut, or where, where did you office? Yes, it was in Beirut, and we lived on the west side of Beirut most of that period of time. Yeah, and um, we we also had a school um, in in Beirut, and his office was within on those grounds as a school. Okay, and what was the name of the school? Uh, it was called <coughs> excuse me. It was called Beirut Baptist School. All right, because uh, um, I I lived in Beirut myself as a child, and we used to walk through the grounds of the American University in Beirut. Were you close to there? Uh, we were uh, a little bit away in a in an area called Masaiti. And okay. uh, it, uh, but my children went to the American Community School uh, oh, over close to the university there. ACS, okay. My brother went to the BCS, which was the British Community School. So. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I went to Manor House, which was um, up in the hills in Hasmier. And oh, uh, yes. I, th- I think that was an American school, but it was more of a, the older children went there. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, okay. um, yeah, we were there most of the period of time, and then um, the last uh, two years we were up in the mountains overlooking Beirut. Okay, it was beautiful when you're up in the mountains, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's Roman ruins there. You never think there are going to be Roman ruins there in the Lebanon, do you? Yes, that's right. <laughs> so they have some, some of the best, I think. Uh, yes, they do. In that do. area. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about um, what you did when your children didn't go to school, when you decided to homeschool your children. Tell me why you decided to homeschool them. Well, uh, we mainly uh, decided to homeschool at that time because we had decided to go ahead and move out of the city into the mountains. Mm -hmm. And that was um, because we had actually uh, been involved in an a major um, shelling of Beirut, and mm-hmm. my children were um, the two uh, older ones that were in school at American Community were caught at the school, and um, we could not pick them up until the next day after mm-hmm. all the fighting was um, had subsided. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, another reason why we couldn't go get them was uh, there was a shoot-on-site curfew at the time and so we had to wait until that was lifted okay and, so uh, so what year was that i think it was 1983 or 84 um it was when the marines were there okay. um and um so uh, we actually um just a few days after this we were able to evacuate with the mm-hmm. marines um, by way of helicopter uh, to the ship, and mm-hmm. then the ship took us to Cyprus. And okay. and so when we, uh, from Cyprus, we went on to the States for a few months, and um, the children um, were put in school there in the States for the rest of the year. But when we talked about returning and moving out of the city, we were too far away from the American school to go, and so that was when we decided to uh, homeschool. Okay, Linda, well, it's been fascinating, and we're going, we've got to take a break now, and we'll get back to your story when we come back. Okay. Thank All you. right, Linda, thank you. Just stay where you are. Uh-huh. 
How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Join Learning and Laughter with Louise every Wednesday at 9 Eastern, 8 a.m. Central on Toginet to discuss fun, fascinating, and educational topics. Each week, Louise will be talking with a variety of guests, ranging from authors, educators, parents, filmmakers, athletes, and entrepreneurs, just to name a few. You know, when it comes to learning, the sky is the limit, and so will the topics that are covered here on Learning and Laughter with Louise. Louise Sattler is a school psychologist who has worked within the fields of special education and bilingual education. She also owns a successful company, Signing Families that creates DVDs and special workshops to teach sign language and instructional products for people of all ages and needs. With new DVDs coming out soon, check her website for more information at signingfamilies.com. From time to time, Louise will be joined by her daughter, Natasha Sattler, who will give a college-age perspective to the show. So pour that morning cup of coffee and join us here on Toginet every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Central. You never know who will show up for Learning and Laughter with Louise on toginet.com. Let's chat it up with Bloom Talk with Barb Scala on Toginet. Thursday afternoons at 3 Eastern, 2 Central. And find out how women are growing, blossoming, and blooming in their friendships and careers, health, and so much more. It's Bloom Talk with Barb Scala. Check out our website, bloomwithbarb.com. Whether you want to transplant your life or just do a little pruning, Bloom Talk will inspire you to cultivate the lifestyle you want to live. Join lifestyle coach and co-author of Sanity Savers, Barb Scala, each week on Bloom Talk and sprout your dreams. Grow your life. I hear a lot from women. I want meaning in my life. I want a fulfilling life. I want to do something that's exciting. and I can control my life instead of my life controlling me. I can tell the world this is who I am and, and this is what I'm all about. Barb will introduce you to dynamic guests and real women who are redesigning, re- building and reinventing their own lives and bloomstorm how you can dream create and grow the lifestyle you want to live it's bloom talk with barb scala thursday afternoons at three eastern two central on toginet.com welcome back to the sociable homeschooler with vivian mcninney the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Okay, well, I'm on the phone with my friend Linda, who's telling us about the reason why she decided to start homeschooling her children when she and her husband were missionaries in Beirut. And Linda, you just finished telling us the story about how um, Beirut was shelled in the um, 80s and your children were, were stranded um, through a curfew at their school. And then you were, ta- you were evacuated um, to Cyprus and then we flown back to America and, that's, and the children went to a school in America for the rest of that year. And then you went back to Beirut. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. Um, I decided to go ahead and homeschool the two youngest Mm-hmm. I had five altogether. My oldest son uh, had decided to stay in the States with uh, his grandparents okay. to go to school. And mm-hmm. then uh, the two uh, that were a junior in high school at the time had decided to um, take a correspondence course with University of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And um, so they did that. Then the two younger ones were uh, at the time I started, one was in kindergarten and the other one was in um, second grade. And uh, so, um, and I, um, 
decided to go ahead to order the Calvert course. Okay. Um, and it's it's one of the oldest ones, I think, or the older ones, but it's very, um, it was an excellent program because I, I really did not feel like I could um, organize the teaching myself. And this was, what I liked about it was that it was, everything was um, set in a schedule and you just followed everything that they did. Well, <laughs> yes. Was, I mean, they it, send you the whole grade in a box. You don't have to buy a thing, do you? You don't have to buy right, paper no. or pencils or anything. Everything's there. That's right. Yeah, they send everything uh, with it. And um, it was an excellent program. They really emphasized the reading and um, good history. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, really enjoyed teaching both of them. Um, I did um, have a helper now and then. The first year, I um, first part, I did pretty much on my own, and then I was able to get another American that was there to help me for a few hours of just keep uh, keeping one busy while I taught the other one. Okay, yeah. And... Um, and we had a variety of ways of uh, doing homeschooling because the first year I did it um, myself, but then the next year um, we had a number of um, missionary kids that uh, were doing homeschooling, and so they decided to combine the older kids mm-hmm. in um, in a uh, place at our seminary that were um, where they could study together with a hired teacher, and um, my older daughter participated in some of the programs that they had there, and I continued to teach um, the younger one there at the seminary for a while or, or at my home. Yeah, and so what what would have been other options? I mean, had you decided not to homeschool, what would you have done with your two youngest ones? Would you have been able to send them to the American school, or...? It would have been, uh, the problem is that it was um, very dangerous at the time because we never knew when the fighting would uh, break out or mm-hmm. um, it would be dangerous in one area and quiet in another. And so it was very unpredictable. And so it was either stay on the west side where we were mm-hmm. or, um, or do correspondence on, up in the mountain. Yeah, and so, so that you- was our... So you went, you, you went up in the mountains, that's where you lived, right? Yeah, the last two years we lived yeah. there, yes. And did you feel it was safer up there? Well, we thought it would be, but we, we still had shells flying over our heads uh, sure. every yeah. once in a while from the other yeah. mountain. Um, yeah. And um, it was um, very unpredictable as usual, but um, the interesting thing is when things do stop, it's as if nothing had ever happened. People are out shopping and doing things, but we just had to uh, be prepared. When I was teaching there, we actually lived on the top floor, so uh, anytime we would hear a shell uh, come out, any kind of big bang, we would head downstairs very quickly to the ground floor. And um, so it was... um, very, uh, there was never a dull moment living in Lebanon, for sure. <laughs> well, I know, and when you walk around the city, it always looks as though a bomb had hit it, always. 
And yeah. I mean, I mean, whether it had or not, it just had that feel about it because they they just didn't clean up after they'd, you know, they 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 would have a building site and build these apartment blocks, and then they just didn't clean up around where they'd been working, and so you know, and the roads weren't finished properly, and it was just. So I mean, once it, they started bombing Beirut, then it just looked even worse. I, mean, I don't yeah. know how people lived there. We did. We lived there, and yeah. we lived there, and uh, <laughs> still well, found the beauty in the sea. And the mountains were beautiful. And uh, that's right. You know, you well, could the ski. interesting the interesting thing is that um, um, on the east side, which is considered the Christian side, um, it was as if you went into a whole different world. It was not that way at all it was everything was clean and organized except for the traffic but yeah most everything else was uh it was a very different and um more, much more of course westernized than mm-hmm. um the east side mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um that um it there there was a big difference between the two yeah. So, um, Linda, so when you said that um, you organized some classrooms there at the seminary and had a teacher come in and teach, did, did the teacher still use Calvert? Um, uh, yes, um, she did for my, uh, my daughter, but um, she used other things for the other kids. Uh, it just depended on what they were teaching. She just basically went with their program. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, um, and did you did you subscribe to the um, the one where the part of Calvert where you send the tests to the teachers there at Calvert and they, um, you know, grade them or did you just administer the test yourself? Uh, I did. I, I did that up until the last year, I think. But yeah. um, I did. And that was uh, very good because they would uh, send back suggestions or mm-hmm. things that. And they were very encouraging to the students yeah. too, um, yeah. and um, I felt like it it was good yeah. for that. And so, really, you were homeschooling like the last few years of your stay in Beirut, and then when you came back to America, they went back to school in America. Is that right? Well, actually, when we left Lebanon, um, we left because of President Reagan uh, mm-hmm. giving all Americans thirty days to get out of Lebanon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we went uh, to Cyprus, mm-hmm. and we actually stayed in Cyprus for a number of years um, yeah. there. So I continued uh, to teach uh, correspondence when we went there because it was middle of the year, too. Mm-hmm. And so they finished that year in correspondence, and um, they went to the American Academy in uh, Larnaca, Cyprus, mm-hmm. for one year. And um, then we uh, actually had a furlough time, which um, we decided the the correspondence was much better for that because we were spending half of um, about four months um, in Oklahoma and another six months in California. Mm -hmm. So we, um, we went ahead and homeschooled through the first term until after Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then they went ahead and um, went into the school system uh, mm-hmm. for the second term in California. Well, um, my goodness, you and so, your children. Yeah, you've had a really 
interesting early part of the life and they were living history while they were there in Beirut. So, I mean, there aren't very many kids out there that uh, can say that they actually lived in the middle of war, not American kids anyway, lived in the, yeah. you know, in the war where they've got um, shells flying overhead and uh, snipers nice. on the streets, right? And uh, curfews. And, uh, my daughter reminded me that um, when we lived in Cyprus too, we uh, would go on field trips around the area, but one of the big one was uh, we went on uh, went to Egypt and went to the museum there. And one of the history things was uh, the things she had read about, or was this museum and um, different articles and things in the museum. So it was very exciting to go to Egypt to Cairo and be able to go in the museum that they had read about. Yeah, yeah. So that was. That was one of their exciting um, field trips that they took. <laughs> well, I had a little bit of a different experience. Um, my parents' reaction when trouble broke out in Beirut was to send us home to boarding school to England. Oh, yeah. And for me, that was really frightening, leaving my parents behind while the, um, the tanks rolled in through Beirut and the Americans were evacuated and the British stayed and the newspapers had... You know, of course, they're trying to sell newspapers. So the headlines are really scary to young kids that are at home reading them at boarding school. Yeah. And um, there was no way that they could contact us or anything like that. And it was just really scary. And I thought, oh, you know, I wish I could have stayed with them because it's never it's never as bad when you're actually there as it is That's when true. you're, you know, home watching the newspapers and the news and you know your loved ones are there. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yes, well, we I'm, were very I'm, fortunate to be able to keep our children there and to have a good program. Yes, yes. Well, Linda, I'm I'm winding up now. We've got we're close to the break again, and I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show this afternoon. And I hope that um, you'll come back again and talk to us again later on. And okay. um, you have a really good weekend, and you stay stay warm. And uh, don't go out if it's icy and stay safe, yes, okay? Great. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks so much, Linda. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I've been talking to my friend Linda Sacco. She homeschooled her children while living in the Lebanon during troubles and wars. She endured shellings and snipers and um, curfews, and she and her husband decided that because of being evacuated at short notice, it would be more consistent and safer to teach their children at home, which uh, it sounded as though it was. What an awesome reason to homeschool. So we're coming up to the end of our um, second segment, and um, I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, second segment? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take a break, and I think I need a cup of tea, so that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to... Third. Third break. Oh, my gosh. This is just going so fast. I need to go get myself a cup of tea. So I'll be back after these messages. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. 
It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Another Way of Living with Susan Dobson is on Toginet. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central. Hi, I'm Susan Dobson, host of the new talk show, Another Way of Living. On Another Way of Living, we talk about what I call the unspeakable. When I was growing up, if there was a problem, a pink elephant in the living room, everybody walked around it, nobody talked about it. Sound familiar? Tune in and listen to my guests and callers talk about their solutions to problems just like yours. If you are ready and really want another way of living, then this is your show. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central with Susan Dobson. On Another Way of Living, we talk about life, its problems, its challenges, and above all, its solutions. Another Way of Living educates and informs. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Plus, the live format lends itself to surprising and heartfelt revelations from Susan and her guests. You'll be surprised by what's shared, what's learned, and what could change. Join us for Another Way of Living with Susan Dobson. Wednesday evenings at 8, 7 Central on toginet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet, part of the Her Insight Network. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, this is my final segment, and I want to comment on how living with American English has its challenges. Now, you may think that English is English, but I have to say, vocabulary, syntax, and accent vary extensively in all parts of the world where the English language is spoken. If you don't hail from England, then I bet you're having a few moments of adjustment tuning into my accent, and I'm not rattling on at my normal rate either. Like everyone else I've met here, you're probably enchanted by the way I say my words. And although we can't hear our own accents, most Southerners insist they prefer mine to theirs, and I love the Southern twang myself. But then we all love what we don't have. When I first moved here, my hardest adjustment was coming up with words in my own language that meant the same as the one word no one was understanding. I admit that part of the problem was probably the way I was pronouncing the word. The first time I went to buy clothes here was a disaster. It was autumn, really fall, and I needed a jumper, a sweater, a pair of trousers, meaning pants, some pumps, which are shoes, a pair of tights, which are hose, and some slides, barrettes, for my hair. The sales lady, before politically correct salesperson became the norm, was very helpful, but I couldn't understand why she was bringing me such odd stuff. It was exactly as though I was speaking another language. For a jumper, I got a frumpy-looking long tunic that I had banned from my wardrobe when I left school. That's high school, not college. Trousers were skipped. She couldn't even guess at what I was asking for. And I wouldn't have come up with pants because those are knickers in my English, which are underwear in your English, which I didn't need. 
She bought me a leotard for tights and a pair of slippers for the slides. I must admit that any kind of shopping here is very impressive. The customer's always right, which is not the case in England. If you've ever watched Falsy Towers, Basil Fawlty's attitude is not exaggerated. He views his customers as tiresome intruders whom he wishes would just stay away and stop bothering him. I have to admit that when I had my own seaside restaurant, Beach Hunt, in the Channel Islands, my cosy little place looked so much prettier without the customers and their attendant mess. Their mismatched items of clothing clashed with my colour-coordinated tablecloths and decor. And heaven help you if you want to deviate from what's spelled out on the menu. No holding the mayonnaise or onion rings. It comes how it comes. Talking of restaurants... That one word always gets me into trouble and it rears its crazy head every time. My American friends are amused and they never bail me out. It's like my very own party piece. They love watching the waiter or waitress do mind flips, trying to decipher what the heck it is I'm saying, expecting me to ask for iced tea, Sprite, a Coke or a Dr. Pepper. When I politely ask for water, their pencils freeze above their notepads and they shake their heads and furrow their brows and say... I love your accent. Where are you from? Always so polite. In England, you'd get eye-rolling and and irritation that you couldn't speak the Queen's English, for heaven's sake. Then comes the inevitable request to repeat myself. Never mind they can't understand me. I could be talking gibberish all this time. They stand mesmerized. If I was in France, I could say, oh, instead of water. But I've solved the problem. I've gone fizzy. I asked for club soda. Everyone knows what I mean. It's painless, not so enchanting, but quicker. During my life here, I've learned to ask for the bill instead of the check. My babies use diapers, not nappies. They sucked on pacifiers, not dummies. As far as buildings here go, I need to remember that the ground floor is the first floor, a bungalow is a one-story house, and a flat is an apartment. I moved from a semi-detached house in England to a townhouse here and discovered that my yard, what I call an area of flagstones with no grass, is my garden, which needs mowing. When I walk on the pavement in London, I'm safe. Here I'd be run over by a car and need to keep to the sidewalk. A dumpster here is a skip, a car trunk is the boot, and the hood is a bonnet. Chips in England are French fries in America. Chips in America are crisps in England and come in many flavours, including baked bean, prawn cocktail, smoky bacon, and cheese and onion. A chocolate biscuit is a cookie covered in chocolate, not a chocolate-covered buttermilk biscuit. Soda here is called pop at home and you can drink it in the cinema while watching a film. Braces keep our skirts or trousers up and are called suspenders here, which keep English ladies' stockings from falling down. American ladies' hose are kept up with a garter belt. An English hose is attached to a tap to water the lawn. After school, we go to college and principals are headmasters or mistresses. When a lady wants to powder her nose, she really wants the loo, which is a toilet or a restroom. A fortnight is the typical length of a holiday, two weeks. Eleven's is, is a milky cup of coffee with a biscuit that can be dunked at eleven in the morning. Tea is a drink and a light afternoon meal. And when you want a bath or a shower here, you turn on the faucet, not the tap. A torch is useful at night when walking home from the station, that's train station, to avoid unwelcome contact with male teenagers called yobbos. An elderly person like my mum is called a senior, and when she falls, she goes to hospital. The word shop is preferred to the American word store, which means in England to keep in a garage, warehouse or on a thumb drive. A mobile is a cell phone. And the last time I went home, I was told that we probably weren't as attached to our mobiles in America as they were in England. Oh, just get a teenager. In polite English company, you don't want to talk about gas, which propels your car in America. 
but suggests you may have wind flatulence or a tendency to peep in England. Words ending in berry are pronounced brie, as in strawberry, raspberry, and elderberry. Er endings sound like uh, as in cater, later, and water. Borough endings are pronounced bruh, as in Edinburgh. And Leon Perrins is called Worcester sauce, although it reads like Worcester. It is pronounced Worcester. And Kathy, are you there? Can you add? I hope people are taking notes. However, <laughs> don't bother going to Liverpool, even if you took all Vivian's notes, because you still won't understand anything anyone says. <laughs> and believe me, this here is my cultured Liverpool accent, because if you really were listening to people from Liverpool, it has to be subtitled. I mean, it's funny, Vivian, I don't know if you've ever seen anything on the TV over here, but they subtitle anyone from Liverpool. Oh, do Even they? Tom, who I've been, he's an American, I've been married for 28 years, still cannot understand people when we go home. <laughs> it's, and I, it's a completely different strong accent. For instance, they'll say stuff like, what are you looking at? <laughs> what are you looking at? I'm freezing. I'm very cold. <laughs> this is, I have a funny story about my friend Kathy who came to live in America and she had two boys. The boys were probably seven, eight, nine when she took them home to Liverpool. And they were outside playing outside her mother's house and two Liverpool boys came up and were playing with them. And after a little while, Kathy's kids came back in. She said, well, what's the matter? You know, do you not like them? Uh, what were they talking to you about? And her kids said, I don't know. They were talking a foreign language. <laughs> so, Vivian, I hope everyone's taken notes, but I don't yeah. know. You have to work on it before you go to Liverpool. It's, it's different, you know? <laughs> well, I think you just have to tune in. I mean, you know, it's like listening to a Scottish or an Irish accent. You just, just have to tune in. Otherwise, you just can't understand a word they're saying. You do. And the funny thing, Vivian, is that people presume you and I can understand accents from over there. But years ago, you know, you know, I lived in a pub in Liverpool. And yeah. We used to have so many students come from Ireland. Now, Southern Ireland, I could understand them. But mm -hmm. students from Northern Ireland... I mm -hmm. found just unintelligible. Their accent was so strong. We would have been like a Faulty Towers episode of you to see me behind the bar trying to talk to them and them talk to me. And, yeah. and it's, that's what's so funny about Britain, that within a very short space of, you know, a couple mm -hmm. of miles, mm -hmm. you can have a very, very different accent. So <laughs> and it, it's just very different. People in Liverpool shorten everything. They put a Y on the end of everything. You've got... Instead of your lipstick, it's your lippy, yeah, chewy, yeah. instead of chewing gum, the butty, yeah, instead of the yeah, sandwich. Yeah. So everything ends in a Y. So. Yeah, well, I notice here, I mean, because Americans are, are renowned for shortening everything. You know, they call Prince Charles Chuck and that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, yeah. And we call a refrigerator a fridge in England, and they call it a refrigerator here. I know. Isn't it funny, Vivian? And don't you get stuck with sometimes you cannot remember if you're using the American word or the British word. Oh, I know. You know, I'll be know. in the grocery store, and I'm like, is this thing called a trolley or a cart? Yeah, And right. is that a garage or a garage? <laughs> well, I was, and I was also reading, I, wrote, I read an English book a couple of years ago, and they had this... This, these two words, bin bag. Oh, yeah. And I thought, what the heck's a bin bag? And then I remembered that that's what we used to call those black plastic sacks that they oh, called yeah. them here, just sacks. A bin bag. I'd forgotten that we called our, our trash can a bin 
and I'll sack a bag and I'm going, what are they talking about? I, I know, and know. I have to laugh at you with the water, Vivian, because that is, I have, I have a couple of words that are very difficult for me. One is that thing that flies in the air called a bird. The other oh, one is bird. a burger. <laughs> you know, if you ever go through the drive-thru and you try yeah. to say a burger and they repeat it to you just like, burger? <laughs> <laughs> It's impossible. It's just impossible. Yeah. And then if you try to use an American accent, that's like a hundred times worse. Oh, so I know. I I'm know. just going to have to be faulty. I can't bring myself to say, what I'm, is it, tomato? I'm going to have to be faulty at the same as you. Oh, I think do. you do, though. You say tomato. You said you say tomato. I, I sometimes, I, you know, I, I'll go tomato, tomato. Okay. I, yeah. I get confused trying to remember or vitamin and vitamin. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and antibi- antibiotics instead of antibiotics. Oh, I know. And in Texas, it's, don't get me going, insurance. And Vivian, vehicle. <laughs> vehicle, I it's know. It's a silent H, people. Yeah. It's yeah. a vehicle. So yeah. all those yeah. things we've, we've tried to learn as time goes on. But next week, I am going to be calling you because I know we don't have a lot of time today. But I had an epiphany this afternoon listening to you. Okay. I was sitting there saying to myself, really, I know nothing about homeschooling till I realized, and we'll talk about this next week, how I homeschooled myself in high school. Oh, okay. You know, I went to grammar school. I hated school. I I think you were, you didn't love boarding school. I know that. No, no, I didn't. I, I hated school and I went to a very strict school and you know, I was really a very shy child, and I just didn't need that level of strict school. And so I used to take all the books with me, and I would go to school periodically. And the rest of the time I would spend in the Pictum Library in Liverpool, which is a fabulous, fabulous library, uh, do the work. And then I'd read the books I wanted to read for the, for the rest of the time yeah. and take them in school. Well, that sounds great, Kathy. And we've got like 30 seconds left. So I'm going to say goodbye to you and I'm going to wrap up my show. Goodbye to you too. uh, Yeah, you tell me you talk about that next week. I will, Vivian. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Well, I've successfully killed another hour. We've had such a lot of fun. And before I leave, I want to thank some people who've helped me get this show up. My husband, of course, the handsome Texan, who believes in love at first sight. My children, who are the result of that belief. Stacy, the staff at Togginet, my friend Anne, Gary, Kathy, my guest Linda, and everyone else who supported me this past month. Next week, I'll be talking to someone else about why she and her husband homeschooled, and I'll tell you about my parents' take on education. So, until next time, stay warm, have a great week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he smile on you and be merciful to you. May the Lord turn his regard towards you and give you peace. So, goodbye, be safe, don't be too cold. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togginet.